Amnesty's Secret Santa Comedy Podcast with Miles Jupp. Welcome to Amnesty's Secret Santa Comedy Podcast, live from Shoreditch in London. I'm your host, Miles Jupp. <laughs> too nice, too nice. You are your animals. Um, uh, well, we've got some uh, amazing stand-up comedy music and chat on the show today. We've got uh, some of the best comedians in the UK, nay, nay the world. Uh, now, this is a, it's a free podcast. Everyone here has given their time up for Amnesty. Uh, if you want to see what you can do to help, keep listening right to the end, and we have a special message for you. Uh, but first, let's get on with the show. Uh, this gentleman, he is one of the best on the circuit. He's a proper comic. He does it He does it the way it should be done. A regular headliner at the Comedy Store here in London, and a favourite, dare I say, all over the UK. Please welcome the wonderful John Maloney. <laughs> I'll uh, tell you a true story. I was recently standing outside my local Sainsbury's supermarket and um, I'd sent my missus over to Waitrose to get some more expensive looking carrier bags. <laughs> and um, standing outside Sainsbury's is what I would consider, if you don't mind me saying, a feckless youth of today. 18 or 19 years old, a head full of unrealistic dreams, a mouthful of double negatives. He was standing there with a tin in his hand, and on the tin it said PDSA, People's Dispensary for Sick Animals, Collecting for Cats and Dogs. But this is how he was cajoling, beautiful word, this is how he was cajoling the good people of Balham to put money into his tin. He was standing there going like this, money for dogs and cats. <laughs> in it. I looked at the tin and thought, yeah, there probably is. <laughs> so, so I got speaking to him, I said, feckless youth, he said yes. He knew his position. He looked up with his one good eye. He'd lost the other one in an extreme game of canasta. I said to him, <laughs> I said, if I put money in your tin, what's the deal? What do I get in return? Bless him. This is what he said. No hint of irony. He said, well, if you give a dog £10 a month, I thought, oh my God, he's deflating. He said, if you give a dog £10 a month, every six months, <laughs> and this is the bit of gold, he said, the dog writes to you. <laughs> now, he said that out loud <laughs> to a grown man, which concerns me on two levels. Level one, he's allowed to vote. Level two, what's the dog going to put in the letter? Personally, if you're making a dog write to you on a biannual basis, I think you're putting it under pressure. <laughs> you think about it, dog's sitting there, first week of January, he's done all its Christmas thank you cards. Just, you know, flicking back, watching Sky News, rolling a fat one, and then suddenly thinks, oh, I've got to write to John, I'd forgotten about John. I can't remember what I put last July, because I'm a dog. But I'll open with a classic. Dear John, hope you're well. This morning, woke up, licked me bollocks. <laughs> See, the thing is, I know I've put that before. I've got to think of something original now. It might not send me any money. <laughs> think, Kenneth, think. <laughs> Tomorrow, I'm considering wiping my ass backwards down the stairs. There you go. <laughs> busy, 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 woof, in it. Because, my friends, this septic isle upon which we live, this land of random Hogarthian violence where bubbly becomes aggressive in less than half a bottle of Bacardi Breezer, 
I'm bubbly. No, you're not. You're just social anywhere and don't know when to shut the fuck up. <laughs> we are... We give three times more money every year to dogs and cats when it comes to charity than we give to kids. Three times the money. Cuddly puppy, £10 a month. Be lucky, son. Starving child, too late. I've given. Stop screaming. You're upsetting a puppy. <laughs> this is the world we live in. Thank you very much indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, John Maloney. Thank uh, you very much. How, how are you, John? M misery aside. <laughs> Oh, no, 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 the glass is half full in my life. Half full of shit, but it's uh, half full. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, life is good, of course it is, of course it is. What? I'm a happy man. Uh, have you been involved in, uh, with Amnesty International before? Oh, of course, uh, I know absolutely uh, very well what, uh, what Amnesty has done and uh, is capable of doing and will continue to do. I mean, when I do charity stuff, and like most comics, I do a decent amount uh, because I think we can. The great thing about this business is that it's to get a few mates together for free to do something, I don't, I don't mean this podcast, but I mean if I do, I do stuff in uh, an orphanage in Mumbai, for example, it's easy to get mates together who are just going to do 10, 15 minutes, be lauded and applauded, and, and we make good money for whatever, whatever cause, whatever cause it is. Um, so so that's, that's how it is. But uh, this is the first time I've done something quite as posh as, as, as Amnesty. This is quite, this is quite good. Because normally when I watch the Amnesty stuff on Channel 4, it's always sort of like public school boys, isn't it, complaining? What have they got to complain about? Do you know what I, I mean? I have literally, literally no idea. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, let's get some guests on, shall we? Please welcome Ramesh Ranganathan and Rich Pepia. <laughs> Uh, thank you for joining us, gentlemen. Uh, Ramesh, you're a, a comedian, obviously, but you've done uh, you've done a bit for Amnesty in the past. What's your in involvement been? Uh, I did a I did a film about the death penalty uh, and my opposition to that. It's, it's based on a on a a survey um, that they did of the UK of the British public, uh, and so I kind of examined it and 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 made a film about it. So that was kind of my my involvement. Uh, and it was it was nice. It was good. It was good fun to do. It. Although I, I kind of I wrote this, the, the the bit for it. I wrote the film for it and um, sent the script off. And I kind of forgot that it was going to be me that was actually doing it. Right. So so there's one bit where I'm talking about an eye for an eye, and then I'm sort of talking about if if, if you if you're gonna if you're gonna impose a death penalty on, on on people that commit murder, then you have to do that for every single crime. So you know if, if somebody mugs somebody, then you have to mug them. And then one of the lines was, "Are you going to flash a flasher?" And then in the film, uh, <laughs> uh, and then when I when I when I sent the script, I said, "Okay, just make sure for the filming that you've got a Mac." And I thought, "Oh shit, I, I it's going to be me that's actually going to do this." And uh, so I had to do it. I mean, I'm not in great shape, Miles. You, you can't tell because I'm wearing layers, but uh, I, I'm not. I, I'm not in great shape. And when they sent me the first like version of the of the film, I said I'm jiggling quite a lot. In the, when I jump out, when I jump out from behind the tree, I have to wait a little bit before I deliver the line because because there is jiggle there. And so I, I, I said, you know, that is a lot of jiggling. And and the director Nick said to me, well, I tried to apply a, a jiggle reducer uh, that they use. That they use in, in pornography, but uh, when when I tried to apply it to you, it just wouldn't read it. Like it wouldn't it wouldn't do it. And I said to him, "Are you serious?" And he said, "No, of course I'm not." Uh, and then, uh, and I'd actually told my wife. Like in between, I said, "Oh my God, they tried to use a jiggle reducer on me, and even that didn't work. This is so embarrassing." So. Uh, so thanks, Amnesty. Uh, I'm really, really grateful for my involvement. It's shameful, isn't it, when you're a gentleman and you do a nude scene and they still pixelate your breasts? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, always, 
Now, uh, Rich, you're no, uh, no stranger to freedom of expression. You're, uh, you're a uh, poacher turned gamekeeper, is that, is that fair? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a comic. And you, what did you are? Uh... Well, I'm a former tabloid journalist, um, and I, I resigned a couple of years ago now. There's normally some booze whenever I say that, to be honest. But no, um, and I resigned a, a couple of years ago now, and I'm, I basically did a show called One Rogue Reporter at the Edinburgh Festival, where I've gone after tabloid editors using all the tactics they taught me uh, to expose their private lives and uh, basically just make sure that I'll never, ever work in journalism ever again. Uh, where, which uh, paper did you work for? Uh, the Daily Star, um, a paper of, of great record. <laughs> Uh, and you, since then, who have you been chasing? Who have you been... Uh... Well, we went for... Uh, my number one target was Paul Dacre, the editor of the Daily Mail. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it is pantomime season. You can sort of, you know... <laughs> you, can, you can make some sort of booze. Uh, we had the editor of the Daily, Daily Express, uh, Hugh Witto. I very much went out to Edinburgh with the idea that uh, I'm going to get sued. And I sat down with a lawyer and they said to me, look, you know, um, basically, you know, you can't do this show, you will get sued they'll win and you'll be made bankrupt. And I said, right, what, what's the sort of practicalities of being made bankrupt? They said, you're just going to get wiped out. You'd be left with nothing. And I said, well, nothing, what do you mean? He said, you just be, have zero left. And I said, zero? Well, to be honest, uh, zero for me is there. Are you, are you telling me they're going to wipe out my overdraft if I get sued? <laughs> that sounds awesome. <laughs> And I actually figured there's nothing that could happen to me other than I get made legally bankrupt and my massive amount of debt just disappears. And so I thought, this is a brilliant financial plan. That's all it was. Less a commitment to comedy than an attempt to get my finances in order. Um, and, and you've had face-to-face -face meetings then with these, all these editors? I yes, mean, yes. Uh, I, I fronted them up, as we like to say, on their own doorsteps, etc. Well, with Kelvin, we actually set up, I set up a fake production company um, and set him up for an interview, uh, saying I was doing a, 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 a documentary about the history of the kiss and tell. Um, and then he got back to me and said, I'll consider it how much are you offering. And I said, well, about 200 quid for 20 minutes. He said, no, I'm not doing that. And uh, it went back and forth. And it was he said, oh, 750 quid. I won't do it for less than 750 quid. And I said, well, I can't really afford that. And I thought, hang on a second. Why am I haggling with the bloke? I'm not actually going to pay him, am I? <laughs> well, why, why have I just spent the last week haggling with Kelvin McKenzie over an interview that once I've got, I'm just going to run away with anyway? So uh, I, 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 I fear that Grabola Productions, which it was called, may fold before the invoice arrives. <laughs> where do you feel, uh, John Ramesh, where do you feel on the, the sort of current state of the, uh, the tabloid culture? Do you think it's, do you think it's, it's just a sort of strange, surreal world where uh, you know, the public are at war with you know, with, with the press, and yet the only people that can report such things are, are the press themselves. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't we have the Leveson Inquiry? You could have done that. <laughs> that was, that was, <laughs> one word. We could have. What I found hilarious was the papers, or still to the day, say Leveson was celebrity-led. It was obsessed with celebrity, and that's what it was all driven by. But the fact was the papers only ever reported the celebrity witnesses. Mm. So, no, you know, all the, the actual, the other people, the hundreds of people who gave evidence who weren't celebrities, you wouldn't hear a word about it. And, and that, to me, was sort of summed up the issue. You mm. had, if you read tabloids, that was your main source of news, you wouldn't even have known the Leveson Inquiry was occurring. You wouldn't even have known. And, and that, to me, is kind of the whole problem, is it is, a, it is discrimination of what you're told and what you're not told. And it is so self-serving what they leave out. And the fact that the fact that the news of the world was kind of was was brought down initially by by the fact that people were beginning to question our tabloid journalism, 
was a was a fantastic life affirming moment in in in, in my life because you know i i sort of lived through the for example the biggest political struggle i lived through when i was younger in, in the uk anyway was was the miners strike around, mm. around the 1984 time uh, ironically and um you know the way things were were reported then uh, and of course all the lies that have come out now about uh, and and relatively soon afterwards that it all happened you know to to, to see murdoch and um his offspring um just sort of, you know, sort of salivating slightly at that the, you know, that the, the feeling of, you know, we've been caught. Like, mm. You know, we've been, and when when that slime Murdoch apologised, um, it was just a, it was just a life affirming. I thought we've got you, and we're not going to let go of you. And then you the for, came. You for t- yeah, <laughs> you for decades and generations, and people like you have been keeping decent, honest working working class people on their knees, and so we finally got you. We're not letting go of you. So mm. it was th- th- that's the best thing that has happened in, in my life in journalistic, uh, in, in that kind of realm, ever. And it was so delighted to see him squirm. Bravo, sir. Very well said. Where are you on this, uh, Ramesh? You're pretty, pretty premier at Murdoch, that's what you were saying in the green room? Yeah, I, uh, yeah very much so. Thanks, Miles, for selling me out like that. Uh, no, not at all, not at all. I, 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 you know, I firmly support all of those sentiments. I... I I also find, I find it slightly upsetting when you, when you kind of think about it that we, uh, as a public, um, have, I f- you know, I worry that we've shown sufficient enough an appetite for that sort of thing that, that, that tabloid, that, that those newspapers and stuff have felt not justified as such, but have followed that course of action uh, because as a result of us showing that we want to read about those things or, or, or giving them reason to think that that is what's going to is going to be popular and so sometimes I feel like although I'm, I'm totally I'm totally obviously overjoyed at what's happened it, I do think it, sh- it puts a mirror to us in a way in terms of in terms of what we've shown an interest for but it's important that we take our, our share of the responsibility I think so that's what I feel and I feel that that's something maybe that's not discussed as much but I, I, you know I think that they wouldn't be they wouldn't have been behaving in that way um, had that been you know, the, the opposite of what was wanted by people. And I, and I think that has to be taken into well, account. I, I think that, you know, there is part of all of us that want to stick our eye to the keyhole, um, but it doesn't really add some moral legitimacy to those who want to set up a box yeah. office next to the keyhole yeah. and sell tickets. Um, <laughs> I think that's probably the... It's a heck, heck of a business model, though. It is. Uh, <laughs> we've been asking people to share secrets uh, with us uh, for, this, for this secret comedy podcast. Do you have a right. secret that you'd care to share with us? Uh, I'm actually a very, very happy bloke. <laughs> and that is genuinely true. Uh, this whole glass half empty stuff, half full, is strangely, is, is, not, is not me at all. I, I giggled like a child. I cry when I watch brilliant people on X Factor. And, but I do, I do. No, I, 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 see the, I see the beauty in life. I just wish that I could tell my face to tell other people that I see <laughs> the beauty in life. I was born with an awful, sad face. So, um, I, keep, um, I keep meaning to watch X Factor, but I often end up finding myself doing um, comedy benefit nights to build new fives courts at Eton. So, uh, sadly... <laughs> <laughs> uh, lovely. Keep on missing it. Do you have a secret for us, uh, Ramesh? Yeah, I do. And um, it's going to come as a shock to, to many people that kind of see me as a sort of a fashion and style... Uh, a lifestyle icon um, and, and many people do look up to me and I think that's probably the reason I was asked to, to come here today uh, but I, I I own the One Direction album uh, that is uh, I, 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 and I just think that they're such lovely little tunes you know and it's just 
just pop it on in the car on the way to a gig and I forget what I'm going to do. Uh, and it's lovely, you know, uh, so that's my... So you've been, you've been feeding the machine, you filthy beast. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah uh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> uh, Rich, what about you? Um, I, lived in, uh, I lived in Los Angeles under the name of David Brent for six months. <laughs> <laughs> For journalistic reasons? No, no, that just, just the reason I didn't have a visa. Um, and, uh, and someone, a Mexican guy I met on a building site said, uh, come with me and for $170 I will give you a driving licence and a social security card and the whole works. And I thought, that sounds like a good deal. So off I went to this, uh, to this shop and up this set of stairs and a little photo- photography studio and get my picture taken and I said, come back in an hour. What name do you want on it? And I said, well, not my own name, that would be stupid. And now in England, The Office had just come out, and I remember seeing the first few episodes and thinking, that was a funny show, and just the first name that popped into my head was David Brent. And I didn't really think it through, because then you realise from then on you have to be David. You can't then just keep calling yourself rich. So my name ended up being David Brent, and I had jobs, and people would be like, David, David, David. And I'd be like, David, answer. Oh, that's me, isn't it? I'm, I'm David, aren't I? And, uh, and eventually, yeah, right, yeah. Uh, the office came over to America and was massive. And then I was the English guy who's named David Brent, which wasn't exactly sort of uh, enhancing to myself. Uh, and then one day at the place I was working, this little, su- this little supermarket, they called me up and said, oh, there's some guys from, from immigration um, asking for, for you. <laughs> and so I burnt my identity and got on a plane and left. Um, and and I, do, I, I do like to think that whenever David Brent actually goes to America now, he gets stuck in customs for like four hours. Like, where were you? Anyway, that story, if there is anyone from US immigration uh, listening, that story is completely untrue. Um, completely untrue. Well, thank you very much for coming here and lying. Uh, (laughs) That's just a continuation of a career, what can I say? (laughs) Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, uh, John Ramesh Rich, thank you very much indeed, the three of you. Cheers. Please welcome David Morgan. Hello. Good morning. Hi, hi, hi. Well, oh, afternoon. Sorry, it is, isn't it? It's afternoon. Hello, my name's David. Nice to meet you. Uh, I'm from a little place called Birmingham. I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh, I don't have an accent uh, because my mum is a snob. Uh, what happened is I was really little and uh, I went, Mum, it's raining. So she picked me up by the scruff of the neck and kicked me into Saturday afternoon drama class and went, nobody important has ever spoken like that. <laughs> now she's got a gay son. Well done, Mum. That's, uh, that's how it goes. If you don't want grandkids, drama school. Uh, I came out when I was 15. Uh, thank you, Dawson's Creek. And uh, <laughs> I say came out. I more uh, confirmed a rumour. But back, <laughs> back in 1999, don't do the maths, uh, back in 1999 when I came out, right, being gay was special. I don't know if you remember. Like, being gay was special. It was, like, it was a special magical thing. It was like leprechauns. You sort of thought they existed, but you didn't know where to find them. The thing is, though, now we're not special anymore. Like, I'm sure all of you either are a gay, know a gay, or at least have a theory about one of your friends. And but the truth is now we can do everything you can do. All, all things that you heterosexuals can do, they're now dragging us into as well, which is mean, but it's happening, right? And I've been my boyfriend uh, for, for seven years. Uh, don't panic, it's not serious. And, and the truth is we can now get married. We can do everything you can do, right? And I'm sure if any of you have been in a relationship for longer than two and a half years, you get exactly the same thing I do. When you bump into someone you don't see very often, they do that thing when they go, so? 
when are you guys going to set a date? And now, because of you know, really good legislation making us just the same as you guys, I get that too, right? And it's really, really irritating. And the truth is, uh, we're quite nice middle-class boys, and we don't like, we like to follow the rules, right? Uh, my boyfriend's also called David, because I'm a tremendous narcissist. And... <laughs> And uh, the, the truth is, we do, we kind of do want to get married. We want to get married when it's real marriage and not, not civil partnerships. We do want to get married, right? But we're not sure, because it's so new and, and exciting, we're not sure which one, of us, which one of us has to ask, right? And the truth is, that in the minds of every person we tell our engagement story to, the one of us that gets asked automatically becomes the bride. Now, I'm not going to lie to you, neither of us are overly keen on the connotations that being the bride bring with it. And to be brutally honest, we're pretty much the bride on an even rotation anyway. Um, so, we were chatting about this, right? My boyfriend said that I had to be the one to ask him. He decided that I had to ask him. And I was like, well, why? Why do I have to ask you? And he said, and this is a direct quote, well, David, um, I've already asked someone before. Thank you, studio audience. That is the correct response, right? He was the bride that night. Um, why, why did you propose to your ex-fiance? And he said, well, the truth is, right, we've been going out for about three years, and I realised, when we were lying on a sofa about 9pm on a Thursday, that I'd run out of things to say to him. So I thought that if I proposed, at least we'd have something to do. Now, that's a terrible reason to propose to anyone, right? But I took it as a mini compliment that I haven't been dull enough in seven years to propose to, right? I was quite happy about that. But I must admit, the moment he told me, I did start finding stuff for us to do. I was like, look, I brought us a loom. Let's weave rugs. I've joined the National Trust. Let's go for a picnic. Anything to avoid having to get married because I really, really want to avoid any chance of seeing his mother again. And... <laughs> Which is horrendous, but very true. Uh, you guys have been utterly lovely, and you're going to have a very uh, lovely night. I've been David Morgan. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Well, let's uh, welcome another guest onto the stage, uh, fresh from singing songs about celebrities in the jungle, um, whatever that might mean. Uh, please welcome Vicky Stone. Uh, Vicky, you've been singing songs about celebrities in the jungle, is that people appearing on that programme or yes. is it literally some celebrities you personally <laughs> tracked down uh, on Borneo holidays? No, no, I, I unfortunately uh, did not get to go to the jungle but I did have to watch a lot of I'm a Celebrity and then I wrote some songs uh, about the celebs in the jungle and they went on the ITV2 show, the, the I'm a Celebrity, get me out of here now, you know, the spin-off. Oh, was that a pleasant experience? For those of, uh, <laughs> for those of you listening along at home, uh, Vicky, Vicky has a lovely smile, a lovely big smile. Um, now... Amnesty protects uh, the humans, uh, obviously. Do you, think, um, do you think Amnesty could do more work protecting the dignity of people who appear on... Yeah, they could have stepped in sooner. like that. <laughs> what, what sort of horrific human rights abuses uh, do... Editing. On that? Editing. <laughs> that's what it is. That's it, yeah, that's it. Uh, now, would you uh, care to share, us, uh, share with us a, se a secret? Uh, yeah, I ha at, at hearing everybody else's secrets... Um, I once did a naked horse ride through Hyde Park. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Now, as, as, as part of a group? Well, it was part of a film, but somebody had tipped off the paparazzi. Um, and so it made the papers. And I had the most memorable voicemail of my life. My mother left on my voicemail going, can you please call me immediately and explain why your grandmother has just seen your breasts in the Daily Mail? <laughs> Um, that's, uh, is that how you discovered that your grandmother read the Daily Mail? Yeah, it was, actually. 
what, uh, what, what film was that? It was a remake of The Lady Godiva, straight to DVD, I hasten to add. Uh, Were you... So, uh, that was, you're making notes? Yeah, The Lady... <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we could put a link to YouTube clips up on the, on the Amnesty website when it goes Please out. don't, I've lost weight since then, so oh. I... I, I, I <laughs> It's, it's, it's fine. Like, I hadn't ridden since I was 12. And I was like, yeah, I'm really confident. Absolutely fine. Totally rising trot. Rising trot? Nude? Fuck's sake. Uh, <laughs> I did that very same thing. I was in a, a film of... Um, <laughs> now I think about it, not quite the same thing. But I, I was in a, a, a film version of She Stoops to Conquer, playing um, uh, Tony Lumpkin. And he writes on a horse. And they say, can you ride a horse? I say, oh, yes, I can ride a horse. Because um, uh, I had had lessons when I was very little. And I, rang, when I got the part, I rang my brother. And I was saying, oh, yeah, I'm... Um, uh, doing this film and I have to ride a horse in it which is great isn't it but obviously we used to have horse riding lessons and he said that was that was about 18 years ago what can you remember about riding a horse and I remember being quite badly injured uh, it was all I can um, <laughs> you know I'm not even controlling the horse a sort of whisperer does it and it's set off and every time it's set off I just go <laughs> <laughs> it was um, in keeping with the tone of the film um, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen very kindly uh, closing the show for us Vicky Stone so I, I am single I am single. This next song is about somebody off the telly that I have my eye on. They say that it's quite rare to be engaged in a lifelong love affair. But it's true that when I say I've deeply loved somebody since the day I first turned on the TV and there he was on children's BBC. I watched him with eyes peeled, my heart for him did yield. I love him, I love Philip Schofield And so I think it's time That you left your wife and kids and moved to mine I know We've not yet met Although I did once get to touch you on the set Of going alive Oh Philip You just make me feel alive Go on Philip honey You make me feel funny I want you I don't want your money So much it's made me ill. Philip, oh, Philip, come over here and fill me in. You can wear me like a glove puppet. Why don't you massage me from within? Come on, you silver fox. I've watched you every single moment on the box. I've sent you lots of things from dirty knickers to engagement rings, but you don't respond. Tell me, what is it? Would you prefer me blonde? I've done all that I can. I've got a dancing on ice tan, even mastered a Gino de Campo fan. Philip, oh, Philip, do you mind if I call you Phil? I've loved you.
Becky Stone, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, thank you very much indeed for all of our guests today. Uh, thank you to you for listening. Uh, please make sure you take a bit of your time to do your bit for Amnesty International. I have been and will remain Miles Jupp. Thanks for listening. And what makes Britain great is our ability to laugh at ourselves. And when I say ourselves, I mean other people. And when I say laugh, I mean invade. That was Jimmy Carr on stage at the Secret Policeman's Ball in New York in 2012. If you would like to hear more of that kind of thing, and if you would like to help Amnesty International, then why don't you buy a copy on DVD? It features Eddie Izzard, Coldplay, Catherine Tate, Ben Stiller, Sarah Silverman, John Stewart, Russell Brown, Noel Fielding, and loads and loads of other very funny people. You could also buy the Secret Policeman's Ball book, A Poke in the Eye with a Sharp Stick. It's packed full of comedy gems from Amnesty's famous Secret Policeman shows, invented by John Cleese and friends, and featuring some of the funniest voices of the last 30 or so years. Both are available via Amnesty's online shop, amnestyshop.org.uk. Thank you.